You should consider yourself lucky. At least your balls won't freeze off. You take great offense at dwarf jokes, but love telling eunuch jokes. Why is that? Because I have balls, and you don't. Game of Thrones, oh my god. There's dragons. You gotta watch it. You see them, there's this fight scene. Winter's coming. 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 Winter's I'm Christina Lomangino. The night is dark and full of terror, but we're here to shed some light on this week's Game of Thrones. We gave you an instant cast on this premiere episode a couple of days ago, but we are back for the full review of episode one that we now know is titled Winterfell. That's right. And we did state at the top of last podcast that we were recording right after the episode and the internets were still mute to what the name of the... (laughs) show was. Yeah, and moving forward, we do have some ideas. We'll save that for the spoiler section on what the upcoming titles could be, but there is no official listings from HBO. In fact, this is the first episode that HBO did not pre-announce the title for and instead waited until the airing. Very hush-hush. So with that being said, if you haven't heard our Instant Coffee episode, it's definitely worth having a listen because we did have some facts. We did go into detail with a few things that will not broach as deeply again as to not repeat ourselves too much. So it's worth having a listen and thank you to everyone on the internet who's been showing us so much love. We appreciate it. Let's start off with some stats, some of which we did know and talk about in the season prepper, but in case you didn't listen to that, this episode was written by Dave Hill, who is best known for writing Eastwatch, amongst many other episodes, and directed by David Nutter, who you'll remember from The Red Wedding and Mother's Mercy. Now I'll go into this deeper when we get to our fun facts section, but the Double Ds, we're super excited to have him back this season, as well as Jon Snow and the entire crew. Well, this was a challenging episode, I think, in many ways, needing to come back after this much time off, having so much hype around the season, the breakneck pace that season seven went through, hmm. having to come back and more slowly, quietly set the stage, put the pieces into place, have all of these character reunions that we talked about a little bit last time, we will get more into this time. And in fact, that's exactly what the critics were saying, that this was a slow burn, but Game of Thrones season premieres almost always are. They set the stage and position the chess pieces, and they're pretty sure next week we'll up the ante, and by episode three, we'll have (laughs) some truly crazy stuff going on. They said it was full of hard-fought reunions, bone-chilling surprises, and unexpected humor, with Winterfell setting the stage for what an epic final season should be. The thing that Game of Thrones has an advantage over a lot of shows is that even with the amount of characters, they don't have to quote unquote reintroduce them because their fandom knows them, remembers them, wants more of them. They could ride this episode. I guess you can say it's a slow burn, but it didn't feel like it to me because everything was a moment to rejoice. There's Danny. There's Arya. There's the Hound the whole time, right? So it didn't feel like a slow burn to me. It felt more of a start of a party as they start coming in all your old friends. Well, I had said in the instant cast, I would summarize it through the words, 
preparation and reunions. Perhaps if it had been only that, I would have been a little less than satisfied looking for my exciting GOT premiere. But you also got some really big shockers. I did not think we were going to see John riding a dragon in this episode, or John learning out his true parentage that he is actually Aegon Targaryen. So for me, I'm not going to repeat everything I said in the instant cast. It was a really great way to set up the season. Overall, that's how it's being received. IMDb is giving it a 9.1 and Rotten Tomatoes a 92% as of today. As we mentioned, we are going to do a deeper dive in this episode, more fully unraveling the plot, talking about our ratings and MVB Most Valuable Bannerman, hearing your thoughts about the episode. And getting a closer look at some of those aspects, maybe you need a little more broken down, such as what is the last hearth? And yes, we did make that mistake. We weren't clear on if we were seeing the wall or the last hearth in the final scene of this episode. You know, it's funny. Um, we did discuss that in the cast. It was recorded. But while I was editing it, by the time I got to that portion, it was 1 a.m. And I was like, if I'm wrong there, <laughs> we are going to get chastised. So I took it out out of fear. But it's an instant cast. We literally had done no preparation, no notes at this point, no research. So I think that's okay. We're going to discuss that more later as well as Valyrian steel and that symbol, which is the calling card of the White Walkers. However, the very first thing we need to do, just wouldn't be CKC if we didn't, is to break down that opening sequence because of course it has changed tremendously for our final season. Let's start out by saying the astrolabe which is that big spinning ball thing. That we saw in the Citadel as well, right? It's a representation. Absolutely. And it pops up three times. Once very quickly at the beginning of the opening sequence and then two more times later on. It's no longer just showing symbols of the great houses, but actually depicting some of that story of ice and fire. Thanks to our Clatcher Mara, because I would have missed that very first image of it. It came so quickly. Digital water cooler, strong as ever. <laughs> we were able to see the number one image is the dragon blowing fire at a building, burning something. Number two shows a complicated image. You have a lion on one side roaring, a man on the other that looks like he could be the Night King, a White Walker. He's a little non-human seeming, and he is holding the decapitated head of what seems to be maybe a wolf. Ugh. Now, the body of this creature, the wolf, we'll call it, is hanging in the center from some sort of tower. So is this something that's happened in the story already, is currently happening, or is it foreshadowing for the future? I hope it's not foreshadowing, but it probably is. <sighs> because that would mean the Starks being taken off the table and you're left with dragon and lion. Targaryen and Lannister. That would be Game of Thronian. You love these characters? Oh, good. No, bye no, bye. no, no, no. I hate this so much. <laughs> well, in the final astrolabe image shows three dragons. So that's two out of three of those images containing some sort of dragon. The third one has one large and three small, perhaps baby dragons with a comet across the sky. Now, I would have said that's something that already happened. Early on in the season, we were talking about everyone around the world, Westeros and Essos, seeing the comet and thinking that it signaled something different to them. What was this going to mean? This is a sign that I'm meant to be king, so Melisandre had told Stannis. Or this is a herald of the coming of my three baby dragons, as Danny would have believed. So there is a way you can interpret it that maybe this is some portion of the story that's already occurred and that's the Citadel keeping track of all of that. I mean, we did actually see 
a lion decapitate a wolf, Ned was decapitated in season one. Yeah, you're right. Maybe that's the story that has already been written. The big moments. And Sam is writing it right now. I think that's the version I prefer. Me too. (laughs) But the astrolabe is the most tricky and open-ended. Let's talk about the actual sequence itself. The camera starts by panning through the wall and the giant hole that's now in it. For the first time, we are actually starting north of the wall and moving south. That combined with many other things you said makes it look like the Night King's progress. And I think that you're right, his journey marching south. Because as we move from the wall to the first stop, the last hearth, a new location on the map, the tiles on the floor start to flip over. Turning into ice. That's how it would seem. They go from that white color, that snowy shade that everything is, to kind of a shiny blue. There's also some sort of weird golden markers along the ground, little dots along the way. I don't know if they're footsteps, what they are supposed to be. And it's very brief. You can hardly see it, but that's interesting to me. We know this is all really important. If you go back to an interview that was done with designer Kirk Shintani, he said, if you look at the mountain that the last hearth is sitting on, when we get to that location, it has this spiral shape that you've seen the White Walkers lay out bodies in such a form. You've seen it reappear on the murals and in the walls in the north. It took me a minute. I didn't see that shape at first that the castle's sitting on. But then you think about it later, the symbolism we're left with in the end of the episode, that's amazing foreshadowing. And in fact, of the sequence overall, he said, I'll say that there are differences in every single episode. Each one, pay attention because there's lots of hints scattered around. Basically, it'll be telling the story for us before we watch it unfold. Another major difference is that we actually go inside of some of our locations instead of just seeing the castles from a bird's eye view. The first one is Winterfell. You see the heart tree blooming in the outside. Then you go in through the walls into the castle and actually down into the crypts, which we know are Hmm. definitely going to be important. We've suspected that, but it's nice to see it visually. This is what's going to be really interesting because these internal sections of the castle will change as well. And that's going to be crazy when we start seeing what happens to the castles when it's taken over by the White Walkers. I can tell you one thing. I'm skipping ahead. King's Landing, the throne room. We've seen Danny have a vision of the throne room all iced up. Yeah, in the House of the Undying, snowing. So we might see that. I'm a little worried. So those were definitely two major locations for Winterfell this episode. John going to the Heart Tree and John going down into the crypts to pray in front of Ned. We have wondered if some of those old star kings will come back to life that are in the crypts right now and be reanimated. You know, I wonder that too, but they're rotten. Most of them are probably gone already. Uh, Dust. We've seen even skeleton whites, though. Oh, that's true. Come at us. So I don't think that matters. But it wouldn't mean much to us as a viewer if we can't see their face and be like, that's Ned, you know? I was going to say Ned's down there, but Ned doesn't have a head. (laughs) Oh my goodness. That's Ned with no head. Oh man, okay. Well, moving along to the last location we get, which is King's Landing. We come in through the gates, into the castle, and then down through the top of the spire, down a spiral staircase, which is really awesome, all the way down to the dragon room, which is underneath the throne room and holds the skulls of former Targaryen dragons, including Balerion the Black Dread. And he has one of those scorpion ballista pointed at him. 
I think that's shown to depict the danger our dragons are in. Mm-hmm. The sound effects, too, were beautiful. And, of course, you end on going back up into the throne room and seeing the Iron Throne. They could have just shown the Iron Throne, but the way they depicted it unhinging or opening up, kind of like a flower. Oh, I was like it forming. Yeah. Because so we cool. know that it's made of all of those hundreds of swords just melted down. Pretty amazing visual imagery. Do you remember we discussed this five years ago, why the original king wanted it to be swords with no cushion? Well, two reasons. One, it was the swords of all his former enemies to Mm -hmm. show that he's actually sitting on top of them. But two, so that he would never get comfortable in that position. And in fact, later kings would cut and scratch themselves on the throne. And it was said that they were not really fit to rule because they couldn't sit the chair. And I wanted to bring that up again because I think it's so poetic. You're not supposed to be comfortable, especially in these kinds of lands. One, because of the constant game, quote unquote, of thrones, you're never safe. But also, two, if you're too comfortable, chances are your people aren't Mm because you're just taking. Mm -hmm. Well, and I do believe that Ares, Mad King Ares, was one of the ones who didn't fare well in that Mm -hmm. chair. (laughs) So that's interesting. You know, as I say that, though, I'd at least buy myself one of those um, New York Yankee uh, cushions that you buy at the the game Mm -hmm. for the stands. And well, I'd be like, well, sh- I'm just going to put this cushion <laughs> you under You talk me. about that. That was a big deal in the books that Danny didn't really have a traditional throne. She wanted to have something that wasn't as ostentatious and put her more in line with the people. And I think it was Jorah who actually had to bring her a cushion because he noticed that she was so uncomfortable sitting there. So unlike the Danny that we're getting on the TV show and as of late, who needs to have all her titles and needs to have everybody know, that's going to be a big part of what we discuss here. So we will get into that. Before we go into our crow's eye view, I wanted to bring up some more fun facts, something really cool. And if you guys haven't watched it yet, definitely take the time. It's an 18 minute video that HBO has. It's called Game of Thrones, The Game Revealed, episode 68. And it's essentially behind the scenes of them filming that episode and what they went through. They show you all the visuals, how they created it. So many things that you didn't even think about. But I'm going to give you four that really stuck out to me. The first one, they had a visit on set. And the Double Ds actually at first thought this was a joke. They got a message that George Lucas wants to visit. And he did visit. Hmm. They show them filming and George Lucas being there with the headphones and him making jokes like, I have no notes for you. Actually, I don't really care about your character. You can die. I don't care. (laughs) And the double Ds were saying it was pretty amazing to have George Lucas there because he's one of the first ones to do huge worlds like this. Then the other really cool part, something that I didn't even look at because so much was going on in the episode. When Theon goes to get his sister... The last person he kills is with an axe to the head. Well, one of the writers says, you know, I sometimes forget that me putting down two words means countless hours of work for our people. I wrote down, gets axed in the head. And before you know it, there's people that have to test it, create this makeup, the ability to pull out the axe and blood comes out. Well, you know what they did? They made him the guy that gets axed. So the writer had to literally eat his own words. And the writer I'm talking about is Dave Hill. (laughs) But he got to be there, I guess, is the upside. Also, that scene that we'll break down later after their joyride with Danny and John with that beautiful waterfall. So they were they actually went to Iceland because they said it's so beautiful here. It really gets our actors into the zone. Still wasn't beautiful enough. Someone said, we should have waterfalls back there. Oh, that wasn't a real waterfall. It wasn't real. They put it in in post. Oh, I would have sworn that looked real. I know. They did so well with that. So check that out. And lastly, 
they showed Danny and John riding the dragons. But oh, I can only imagine. So green screen with basically one of those bulls. The mechanical bulls. Mechanical bulls, but shaped like a dragon's hide. And you see them getting whipped around, thrown. Well, John in the interview tells us about uh, the one time his testicle got caught. Oh, no. Kit. I think what sums up the buck for me was... There was a bit where John almost falls off the dragon, swings round really violently like this, and my right ball got trapped, and I didn't have time to say stop, and I was being swung round. In my head, I thought this is how it ends, on this buck, swinging me round by my testicles, literally. <laughs> Sorry, probably, probably too much information. So that's just a little bit of the 18 minutes. You guys, it's well worth watching. Check it out. They always have some really good behind the scenes stuff. Without further ado, let's get into our plot and start to break it down. With John, Danny, and the troops arriving at Winterfell, we get the stage set for the season as well as numerous callbacks to season one. We talked about this a little in the instant, something that we missed. When they enter, we hear the same soundtrack play as when Robert came to Winterfell in season one. That's called The King Arrives. Yeah, that's so cool. A little homage to themselves. We had a few Clatchers that wrote in and told us about it too. Yes, thank you to Shawin who gave us that information. We read an article about it. In fact, the episode even ended, of course, on that interaction that we left off with season mm -hmm. one between Jamie and Bran, but cutting to the same music during the ending titles as the end of episode one. And then you get the visuals. They start with a boy running through the crowds of people as Arya watches on smiling, her no longer being the little one who has to climb up high onto a wagon in order to see the people approaching. It also reminds us of Bran climbing a tower that day to watch the crowd coming in. But as you said, this whole thing is scripted so well. For the first couple of minutes, we are really just being engaged through Arya's facial reactions and expressions to the characters, looking happy to see Jon, a little unsure about Danny, surprised at the Hound, and really glad about Gendry. Yeah. We go inside the wagon for, I don't know, I guess just a couple little jokes between Tyrion and Varys. Well, why do you say it like that? I love it. It was a reminder of how funny they are together on screen. And the humor was absolutely on point this episode, but I just feel bad with what's been happening to Tyrion's character since last season. What Sansa points out, the cleverest man in the entire world keeps making bad decision after bad decision the whole catch a white plan <laughs> that ended disastrously and in fact didn't really prove shit to Cersei was his idea. And now you have what seems like are going to be Tyrion's final words at some point telling the entire Northern Assembly, Cersei will come. Ugh. Her army will come here and back us up. And I just feel like he's going to eat those later on. We had said in our prepper, if I remember correctly, that he would survive. Yeah. I'm starting to think we're wrong now. <laughs> I pushed, survive the whole thing, and maybe <laughs> rule the kingdom someday. And he's definitely not looking like a great leader at this point in time. Or a great hand. The tension starts to build because Danny is getting wary. The look she's receiving from the crowd. John says he warned her the Northerners don't trust outsiders. You can see her confidence starting to flag, but then the dragons fly overhead. She's back to being in control and in power. In fact, some people are running and screaming in terror. But how happy were you when you saw them? Oh, yeah. And <laughs> Arya's smiling, grinning. Yeah. It's like our reaction as an audience. First time for her, right? To visually see it? The dragons. Yeah. Oh, I think so. Yeah. For sure. 
and Sansa as well, but she is looking concerned as she watches from the battlements. This ends on a crow's eye view of the castle. Just a really great scene of the entire visual. It was beautiful. Then we get the first of our many reunions when John rides into the courtyard and kisses Bran. He introduces Danny to Sansa, who greets her quite frostily. It's going to be the first of many cold, and as you called it, sharp reactions from Sansa. David Nutter had a note for Sophie Turner. He just whispered to her, this is your house. Don't Hmm. forget that. And you can see it, and part of the time it really annoys me that she can't get on the same page with John. As many times as she tells him, essentially, what are you doing this for? Is it really to save the North, or is it because you're in love with this very pretty woman? I would want to ask her the same question. What are these emotions you're harboring? Is there part jealousy? Is there part... Catelyn Stark, this is my castle. I'm meant to be the Lady of Winterfell. Or is it all in service of we need to save the kingdom? Because if it is, John and Bran are the only ones saying what needs to be done. We need to put all of this bullshit aside then. And as much as you might be right, Sansa, yours too. We need to be one big team on this. The thing is, it's really hard to read her facial expressions. Yeah. I don't know entirely what's going on inside of her mind. I know the couple of things that she does share throughout the episode, but she's becoming such a skilled schemer herself that I'm sure that's just the tip of the iceberg. And Bran breaks in here with that really apropos comment, something we all kind of want to say at this point. We don't have time time for for this. this. The Night King has your dragon. He's one of them now. The wall has fallen. The The dead dead are marching south. south. You're like, okay, Bran, yeah, maybe maybe you've got to come in with these comments every so often because that really helps spur us back into action. Do you see Danny's face, though? Because she didn't know. That the Syrian had been taken by the Night King? That's your baby. Yeah, I mean, she knew that he'd been killed, but not reincarnated. Right. That's a big blow. Unfortunately, no sooner do we end that scene, but we go back into another political quagmire. Gathered inside, we find out as soon as they heard about the wall, Sansa called all the bannermen to retreat to Winterfell. So John, Danny, and Sansa sit at the table as little Ned Umber pleads for more horses and wagons. This is the reason his people haven't come, he says. And he's told to go back to the last hearth and bring them here. John also thinks they need to send ravens to the wall. There's no sense manning the castles anymore. They have to make their stand here. Oh, that's the first <laughs> put your stamp on it statement. Winterfell is where the major battle will be fought. And then Lyanna stands up and the pushback starts. I love her. I do too, but damn it, I just want to slap her here. (laughs) She says, you left Winterfell a king and came Came back. back. I'm not sure what you are now. A lord? Nothing at all? It's not important. Not important? We named you King in the North. You did. My lady, it was the honor of my life. I'll always be grateful for your faith. When I left Winterfell, I told you we need allies or we will die. I have brought those allies home to fight alongside us. I had a choice, keep my crown or protect the North. I chose the the North. North. You can't argue with that. It's so solid. Come on, people. You can tell they're not all sold, though. There's a lot of muttering going on. So Tyrion interrupts to try to smooth things over (laughs) with those very portentous words. 
Patreon bonus vocabulary word. (laughs) He says if they survive, they'll have Jon Snow to thank. He risked his life to show them the threat was real. Thanks to him, they have brought the greatest army the world's ever seen and two full-grown dragons. And soon, that Lannister army will ride north to join the cause. And there the army is of where he one, lost it. Yeah. Jamie Lannister. That's where he lost them. <laughs> oh, I mean, we do see that the people are amassing. The next shot shows us camps and tents formed all outside of the walls of Winterfell. The wagons still pouring in including the Karstarks, with whom Jon brought peace once again. This brings us to that other great interaction where Davos tells Tyrion the North are loyal to Jon, not to Danny, And if she wants to win their loyalty, she'll have to earn it. These scenes with Davos, Tyrion, and Vars, they may feel like those that was the little bit of a lull in the episode, but it wasn't. They are telling you everything you need to know. Everything they're saying there means so much. Oh, I said that was like our new small council. These are the last great minds sitting around in a room trying to figure out if we make it out of this war, what happens to the rest of the kingdom? And Tyrion has been concerned with that for a long time. Danny hasn't really wanted to hear about it, but someone's got to think of it, right? And Davos proposes that on the chance they do survive, maybe the Seven Kingdoms can be ruled by a just woman and an honorable man for once. You then get the two different responses to that, right? Varys thinks that he overestimates their influence, but Tyrion believes Danny does respect their counsel and would listen to them. That's all going to be put to the test really soon. I think it's Varys that brings up the fact the young, like John and Danny, keep the men like them at a certain distance. They do it on purpose, subconsciously, of course. They don't want to be reminded that everything ends. See that right there? Of course, they're talking about youth, but... Oh, I think they're talking about a lot of things. They're talking about a lot of other things. I think at the end of this season, you could do a highlighted clip of everything that happens with Varus's voice right there saying everything ends. Well, think about all three of these men, how many different places, positions in life they have gone through. If you survive to their age, you've had to fight for your life, reinvent yourself, come through a whole hell of a lot. It doesn't end in this world with that nice fairy tale, and then they lived happily ever after. Speaking of a they didn't get happily ever after, this very long time coming, an awkward reunion between Sansa and Tyrion. She's posing realistic questions, yes, such as how are they supposed to feed this huge army? And the dragons. The thing is, we all knew this was a problem from the moment they said they're going to call in their bannermen and retreat all the forces to Winterfell. That would mean they need a way to feed them. Already an issue. If winter is here, A, we're going to have a ton of other things to worry about, but B, there's going to be no crop. How do we feed them? Tyrion notices her feelings about Danny, and he talks to her reflecting on the last time they saw each other at Joffrey's wedding. He's kind of calling her out on abandoning him, although he understands what she did, and he thinks now that many people underestimated her. She does apologize, but not really. (laughs) She callously says, well, we both survived, type of thing. And then she gets that jab in that she thought he was the smartest man in the world, but he is just foolish if he believes Cersei's really going to come up here and bring the army to help. It comes to pass, everything we talked about season seven, in fact, Cersei telling him that she's pregnant did have the effect she was looking for. He has taken that to heart and believes that she has something left to fight for again. That was a big part of the reason I thought she was faking the pregnancy. Maybe it would work on Jamie, Tyrion, or both of them. Certainly didn't work on Jamie, although I could see her angle there, but it worked on him. 
That combined with a lot of other things that we've said, such as the prophecy she got from Maggie the Frog when she was younger that she would only have three kids. Yeah. There really is no way unless she has the kid but dies during childbirth or something happens before she can have that child. Well, I think that's shown on her face when Euron rubs her belly and says, I'm going to put a prince in here. Is she hoping to dupe him as well? Yeah. I mean, are you saying... If she is actually pregnant, now she slept with him so she can say... It's his? It's not Jamie's kid. It's your kid. I wonder... Because we see how he feels. He knows that she used to be with Jamie. And he's kind of whatever about it now, but he wouldn't be if that was the kid she was carrying. We'll come back to the two of them later. First, though, we get our John and Danny scenes. Danny starts out by telling John she knows Sansa doesn't like her, but she will need to respect her. This is more of the you have to kneel bullshit. I'm struggling to find out why she's still holding that position. She seems to have come so far in trusting John and realizing where the real fight lies that they have to band together. And yet she has moments of smallness where she just needs to command that respect, needs to be the ruler, the queen. Yeah, you would think she'd be cool with setting aside all of those formalities and things like that. But I guess it's easier said than done. She's fought very hard to get to this point. She's traveled so far and she has lost a child. She lost the man she loved. So many things. Well, and she sees that the North is not welcoming her in easily. So maybe feels she needs to take it by control. But John keeps telling her, you need to earn their trust. The reason they trust me is because I've shown I'm fighting for them. It's not because I want to be king. I want to do what's best for them. I really thought that once they teamed up, she would understand that. And this would be a stronger alliance for when that reveal comes. Now, when the reveal comes that John is a Targaryen, I am worried that that's just going to ruin everything. Mm. Because if she's not accepting of that, she's certainly not going to be accepting of, and I'm the rightful heir to the (laughs) throne. Whether he wants to claim it or not, doesn't matter. And I do think that if she really wants to win them, She is going to have to make some kind of major sacrifice to show them that she cares. That statement that Sam is going to make later on, that John gave up his titles, kneeled to her to do what he had to do to save them. She's going to have to do likewise when she finds out his position. And I don't think she will. Well, that's the tension for sure that the show is setting up for us, huh? And I said this in our instant cast. You can literally feel the show telling us, you think you love Danny. You think she's perfect. She's not. We have Sam saying it, the Stark sisters. I think that seed is at least starting to make some root inside his brain. Yeah, well, and we've worried about that for a while. And it comes down to her actions. What kind of leader would she be and how is she going to help them? He had no reason to truly doubt that because he thinks he's seeing a good future queen until he hears that news from Sam. First, though, she gets the message from her Dothraki that the dragons are barely eating. So her and John go to check on them and find the two standing over a pile of bones. Danny makes a really key statement here that she thinks they don't like the North. It's brushed off, but you know that's going to be huge later on. These are creatures of fire. They are the symbol of that. They are not meant to be here. And it's not good for them. It's going to take a toll eventually. Then we get our wonderful scene that we did speak about at length in the instant where John is able to make friends with Rhaegal, mount him, and actually fly him. (laughs) I mean, there's not a lot to say other than that was 
badass. It proves John's parentage before he finds out for himself by the end of the episode. We did mention it was a little weird how Danny kind of threw him to the wolves there. (laughs) You sink or you swim with this flying thing and that she wasn't more shocked that he could. But I think you need that moment because she can't figure it out here. No. When he doesn't know. But there has to be something later when they come and tell her that he's a Targaryen. She's going to say, you're full of shit. (laughs) But then she's going to think back and the seed was planted. Why was he able to bond with my dragons? That's what's going to eventually prove it to her in her own mind. Also, just another fun callback to earlier seasons when landing by this waterfall, Danny tells him, we could stay a thousand years. No one would find us. Very similar to Egret's message to him about wanting to stay in that cave forever. I would stay. <laughs> <laughs> and then we talked about the evil stink eyes from Drogon. Oh, that was so great. <laughs> I watched it again and I paused it. They did such an amazing job with these dragons. The way he moves, the look in his face and the eyes, it actually reads the feelings that we know. <laughs> uh, yeah, and people are, are kind of... Going to the extreme with this, saying, do you think he senses that they're related and they're not meant to be together? No. I mean, first of all, dragons have wed not just relations, but brother to sister for a long time. Targaryens? That's what I mean. The dragon kings and queens. Yes, the Targaryens. So their dragons, I don't think would have any qualms with that. I think it's more like the old stories tell us each dragon had one rider. So we had talked about the fact that John can ride Rhaegal probably because he's named after John's father, who was Rhaegar. I don't think there would be a chance that John could ride Drogon if Danny wasn't there with him. I believe this is more of that. Drogon is the one really bonded to Danny. He's going to be protective of her. Absolutely. We need to quickly talk about just a few more reunions. One between Arya and Gendry. He's overseeing these wagons of dragonglass being brought in as we thought they are forging them into weapons. He's finishing an axe for the hound and he notes that making a blade that big out of dragonglass wasn't easy because it's a tricky material to work with. More on dragonglass later. But also because of the hound kind of ragging on him, this sets up our next meeting where Arya turns up to defend him. And they have this really intense stare down. The hound basically calling her out that she left him to die. Well, then she commented, and I stole from you too, or something like that. (laughs) And he retorts with, you're a cold little bitch, aren't you? I guess that's why you're still alive. You know, I think what was happening there, and then there was a nice smile between them. I think they actually both were happy to see each other, but you know how they are. Defensive first. The hound, I don't think, ever wants to show any emotion. That's as much of a hug that you'll ever get from the hound. That's his way of complimenting her. Yeah. You know, you made it through this thing. Good for you. (laughs) But I think the real key to this scene was that after he leaves, Arya produces this drawing of a weapon she wants Gendry to make. Now we paused it. We looked at that draft and it's really hard to tell what she's intending. It seems like a spear or some type of larger weapon holder that something would go on top, whether that be a dragon glass tip, some kind of arrow that can be ejected yeah. and, and kind of reloaded, or her actual Valyrian steel dagger that would get placed on top, making her her own Valyrian steel weapon. Well, I don't think that's the case because in her draft it said dragon glass. And Mm -hmm. it pointed to the tip. Mm -hmm. I think it'd be in her best interest to still have that dagger and have this big... More long range. Exactly. And that's what I was saying in our prepper, I believe, where I was saying my weapon would be something where I could just spin around. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, and you lose the tip. You keep reloading it with more dragon glass heads or whatever, you know? And of course, they have their moment calling back to earlier days as you wish, my lady. I like the callbacks, especially knowing it's the final season. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to get together romantically as everyone's predicting. I mean, I could see it happen, but really what Arya was looking for back then was another family. And that's why he was saying that could never happen because you're this rich girl high and rich lady i'm not like that i'm just i'm just a blacksmith but now they've both kind of lived a lot of life since then right i mean it could be if they both survive we'll see where the end game goes but i think there's just a lot more along aria's path left to go did you like his new hair shaved head no i know but you know what it makes sense because he's spending so much time in the forge now it's hot in there Mm. And also, if you have long hair, I'm guessing it could burn a little bit. And he does look older. I know they're trying to age them up a little bit. We also get another interaction between John and Sansa where she tells him about the message from Deepwood Mott that Lord Glover isn't coming. This is her way of getting a jab in because it's his fault that they're not going to be there. He's no longer king in the north. John tries to persuade her, telling her they can't win without Danny, and she would be a good queen for all of them. She's not her father. I think that was something that tipped Sansa just a little bit. She still for sure has her feelings about Danny, and it's going to keep going. But he said, don't you have any faith in me to judge her character? And we certainly know that the child isn't necessarily the parent. You can't just go judging somebody solely on that. Although I think many people still will. I think it's an excuse. He's scared. Lord Glover, that is. Oh, probably. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's just hiding out. They're going to get you. There's no avoiding this. All right, remaining in Winterfell, we have our two Sam scenes to talk about. First, Jorah brings Danny to find Sam to thank him for being the one to save his life when no one else would. She promises that when she rules, there will be changes in the Citadel, which would actually be nice. And it's nice that that was recognized in the script because that does need to happen. But she also tells him to name his reward. She isn't really anticipating he's going to say something now, but he admits he could use a pardon for the books he borrowed cute. And the sword he took from his family. This is a way to get around to figuring out the truth. Yeah. Because Danny didn't know until that moment that Randall was his father. She admits he refused to bend the knee and was killed along with his brother. The look on her face is deadpan. So no emotion. Callous. As if I'd do it again. That's what I mean. I know that there's things about Danny that concerns us, but that just didn't even feel like her to present it that way. It's not like she revels in killing or wants to kill. And Jorah's sitting there not saying anything. I had mentioned in the instant cast, it was a little weird for this to be the big thing that's going to reveal Danny's lack of character, some of her problems. I don't think it's the big thing. I think they're sprinkling it in as they sprinkle the doubt in our brains. And the doubt in John's brain. Next episode, there's going to be a decision that has to be made. And in this decision, John and Danny are going to have an argument or a discussion of opposite thoughts. Yeah, something bigger has to happen. Because as much as we didn't like that either, and everyone who was there that day after the loot train battle and saw her kill them did not like what she did. But John says it later, I've killed people for betraying me too, though. And I mean, think back to Rob's really hard decision about what he had to do with the Karstarks. And that did cost them dearly. 
but he took that belief down from Ned that that loyalty has a fine line and it is going to be a hard thing, but sometimes you are going to have to put those people in line. So I think he wants to understand John yeah. in that moment. I'm wondering if that big thing is going to be when she sees Jamie and says, you're the one who killed my father. That I think would be a better issue to make it explode. Yeah. Because this doesn't feel like enough. It feels like there needs to be something else. Oh, there is definitely going to be something else. And that, for sure, I mean, you could see how this could turn into pandemonium, right? Jamie is not being welcomed into Winterfell. Mm -hmm. Look what you did to Bran. You nearly killed him. You paralyzed him. This is all coming back to bite you in the ass. And then (laughs) he can say, well, but you're fighting with Danny right here daughter of the Mad King. The whole reason I had to kill him was because he was trying to burn them all. And then Daniel will be like, and you killed my father. Well, that's what I mean. But then he'll say, oh, okay. I had to because they burned them all and you could be the same way. Some crazy shit could go down. Well, back here to poor Sam. Another reason I think this was tough for me, I mentioned how, you know, he always hated his father, was a very mean man to him. In fact, wanted to have Sam killed when he realized he wasn't going to be the son that he wanted until his younger brother came along, Dickon. And he was. And he just started focusing all the attention on him. In the books, there really was more of a strained relationship between him and his brother as well. I forgot that on the TV, things weren't so bad. And I think that's what really got him upset when he found out it was his brother as well. Very well acted. The ability to show some hurt when he finds out his father's dead. But then even more when he finds out his brother's dead. I think he was ready to accept it when Mm -hmm. it was just his father. Then he runs out of the room crying to the courtyard where he finds Bran waiting and watching, saying he's waiting for an old friend. Yeah, we know who that's going to (laughs) be. Oh, yeah, that's pretty amazing. Um, I was thinking the whole time, who's the old friend? Who's the old friend? And he must have seen him traveling up to Winterfell from his uh, crows, right? To his weirwood vision. I think even before that, I was wondering, why is Bran just sitting in the courtyard? Why is everybody just leaving him? Hmm. It's like morning, afternoon, evening, night. (laughs) But yeah, he was waiting for Jamie to arrive. And Bran really puts it to Sam here, saying it's time to tell John the truth and it's got to be Sam because he trusts him more than anyone. I agree with that. Yeah, we discussed that in the instant cast. And this leads to Sam going down into the crypts and finding John lighting the candles in front of Ned's statue. They hug. They have this, you know, momentary (laughs) sweet reunion before Sam breaks the news, saying that Danny executed his father and his brother. And Sam wonders if John would have done the same. He tells John he's always been a king, not just of the North, but the Seven Kingdoms. He worked out the truth with Bran. Your mother was Lyanna Stark. And your father, your real father, was Rhaegar Targaryen. You've never been a bastard. You are Aegon Targaryen, true heir to the Iron Throne. Throne. Of course, this starts to send Jon into a tailspin. We knew the biggest thing was going to be he has identified his whole life as being the son of Ned Stark. That's really what he takes pride in. He is the North. And not only that, that means his father lied to him his whole life. But San tells him he wasn't doing it to hurt him. He promised your mother he'd always protect you. And he did. Robert would have murdered you if he knew. You're the true king. Aegon Targaryen, sixth of his name, protector of the realm, all of it. 
Can you imagine being told that? Well, I think this is going to keep going for him if he's not Ned's son and he's not a Stark, which is what he's going to start thinking, even though he still is. His mother was a Stark, but you know that's going to come into his mind now. Then who is he? It's not just the fact that he's supposed to be heir to the throne and ruler that is going to be a major problem, but I think it's going to put his whole identity into a tailspin at a time where he really can't afford for that to happen. And of course, his next thing is telling Danny would be treason, but Sam insists that not really. He's the rightful ruler after all, and he gave up his crown to save his people. Would she do the same? And that's when we start going, would she? Well, she kind of is. She has the army right now to easily take out King's Landing, but she puts it all on a pause to fight the White Walkers. Only because John bent the knee. And John said he was renouncing his titles after all of the craziness. She still insisted that he do that before she take part in this whole debacle. And when they had that meeting with Cersei... He had to stand up and say, I've already pledged my allegiance to Danny. It's one thing if he is like her lieutenant and helping. She needs the North to fight this threat that is a threat to her kingdom she wants to rule. But if he says once this is over, he wants to sit on that throne, I don't think she's kneeling to him. I think that would do it. The North would follow her if she did that. But I don't think she will. You know, we talked about there has to be an argument that they have where she's going to do something that is something that John wouldn't do. Maybe it's that and this, where once she finds out about this, she doesn't trust him. There's a little bit of a rift between them already. Mm-hmm. And he, even with John saying, and I'm sure he'll say this, I don't, don't worry, I don't want to be king. It's all good. It's yours. But she's going to say, if that gets out and the people right. know that you're meant to be king, It's never going to matter whether you want it or not. Your claim is stronger than mine. Yeah, that's going to be a problem. Plus, whatever Cersei is intending, that's going to put a major fucking wrench into all of this. Because despite the very real issue of the undead army, she's still focused on political scheming. Let's turn our attention there. We talked about her being really unconcerned with the news that Kyburn brings that the dead have broken through the wall. All just part of what she hopes to unfold, that they will virtually take out the North so she doesn't have to worry about them anymore. The question is, if that's what she believes is going to happen, does she just think the army of the undead is going to get taken out in that too? And that once the North is wiped off the map, she won't have to deal with them? I feel like she's being so close-minded. She's not thinking about the future. I get it at surface, right? Oh, good. They'll take care of my problem for me. But yeah, dum-dum. They're coming towards you, and now they're going to have twice the amount of army. One of them is making it out of there. You bought one army. Okay, the gold company is huge, massive. It's respectful. but They can't fight White Walkers? Especially not White Walkers plus... White Walkers of Danny's army, of Winterfell, of all of the North. Well, right, because she's thinking, well, they'll just wipe each other out type of deal. They're not going to. And guess what? You didn't get your elephants. Well, they have elephants, too. They have a different kind, even bigger and scarier. Yeah, she's really pissed about them elephants. And <laughs> I know people have been saying it, but that has to be a meta message from the Double Ds, right? We had a lot of other things to spend budget on. There was no time, no money left. They don't like real animals. For fighting elephants. <laughs> I I think they have no patience. We read about this either last season or the season before. They had actually come out and said, it's so much work to deal with wolves. Yeah, let's get serious, people. If they didn't include the dire wolves, you really thought you were getting Hmm. war elephants? I mean, you could have 
CGI. Yeah, that would have been a lot of work. They could have CGI'd the wolves. They don't. There's too many other things, and so much is probably going into the dragons that. Yeah. That's it. That's what you got. The dragons burned all the money. <laughs> Plus, though, I do think we should have at least gotten sight of Ghost. I, I understand Already? we're not going to see a lot of him, but... No, not yet. Everybody's there at not, Winterfell. Where is he? Not yet. <laughs> well, back to Cersei. We mentioned that Euron has brought her what she wanted, that golden company, and in the throne room, he introduces her to Captain Harry Strickland, who has brought 20,000 men and 2,000 horses. Wow. Did you see on the ships when they were sailing in? Those men, every ship, first of all, is giant. But those ships were full of men and they're all just standing there in, in lines because there's no room. So how long were they there just standing? In that golden armor. Yeah. Baking. <laughs> so I know that the Golden Company is important, but we have so many other things to discuss this episode. We're going to save a breakdown of them for next time. However, Mara wrote in to say, did anyone else find it creepy? that Strickland, who's already throwing sexually charged looks at Cersei, looks an awful lot like Jamie. I was thinking that too. And I didn't even piece that together, but um, maybe she needs to use her wiles on him as well, and that could create an issue with Euron. Well, does Cersei need Euron anymore? He did what she needed from him. She brought him the Golden Company, but she has got to still be thinking she needs that fleet, the Kraken Armada, and he's got his own men. Too. So that's a force that it's not that it's so huge, but she can't afford for it to be on the other side. Okay. Uh, I brought that up because I was just thinking she can just kill him now. Yeah, you would think, right? He, he is going to be a problem for sure. You know, in fact, she tries to delay her promised repayment to him, typical Cersei style, when I rule. But he's like, listen, I've done a lot. Wars last years. I kept up my end of the deal. <laughs> I brought the damn Golden Company. And I think she only finally relents because she realizes if she doesn't sleep with him here, she's losing. He might walk. But also, I think she's got this plan, if she really is pregnant, about needing to arrange things properly. Because I know some people have been saying, well, she just needed a little sex, too. She just needed to blow off a little steam, too. I don't think no. she enjoyed that one damn bit. She looks like she hates him. Right after the sex, they didn't show it, but in my head, she got up, walked into the other room, poured some wine, and her back was to him. She didn't look back once when he was talking to her. That says a lot. She Body wasn't even using him sexually. I think she was repulsed, <laughs> Yeah, but she needs to control him. Then this is the way she knows how to do it. Plus, she can say whatever she wants. She can get her plans on for the future. Losing Jamie was the biggest blow she could have been dealt. Yeah. Without her kids, he was all that she had left. They were finally going to get the opportunity to be together. He was the love of her life, as gross as that is, and he's left now. And she is truly alone. Yes, she's sitting on that Iron Throne, but who does she have supporting her? Kyburn, the Undead Mountain, the Golden Company that's only here because they're bought and paid for? Yeah. It's super tenuous for her. So much so that she knows she would have to eliminate her two brothers if they make it out of this. Otherwise, she's going to be in real serious trouble. And we brought this up before, but I find it curious that she wants Bronn to do it. She thinks he's another pawn at her disposal. That her brothers employed him, but they never paid out their promises to him. That he's a sellsword that will jump ship at the sight of more gold. I don't think she realizes that he did form some kind of attachment to them. Now, how strong is that really? might he turn his back because he thinks she's the winning side? 
I guess there's a possibility. I just really, really don't see that happening. I think she's going to be outwitted. I think all of these people that she thinks are pawns right now, this game is finally going to come crashing down on her because they're all going to turn on her. Jamie, Tyrion, Bronn. I think Kyburn will stay with her to the bitter end. But even Euron, I think it's all going to backfire. Yeah. I'm really hoping because this proposal just sucks. I mean, she's offering him a couple of chests of gold and insisting that he used the same crossbow that Tyrion used to kill Tywin. And I know some Clatchers are thinking, I don't care about this right now. It's all about the North. But after episode three, it's going to be all about King's Landing again. And I don't love the political intrigues, but the relationship between the three of them Mm. is incredibly complex and intense. And I do want to see that play out between Cersei, Tyrion, and Jaime. I want uh, Tyrion to shoot her while she's pooping. (laughs) <laughs> well, and that means all three of them would make it out of the big battle, so... Yeah, obviously, that we don't even know if that's going to happen. You know, I, but I would like it for that sake. Um, and lastly here, just quickly to say that aboard one of the ships, Theon comes to free Yara. After he unties her, she headbutts him, but then helps him up. And man, I wish every relationship on Game of Thrones <laughs> was this simple. Well, it makes sense. If you recall, last season, he just watched as she was taken yeah. by their uncle. And she thought he was broken for an ironborn. Mm. That means the end of you. She tried to fight for him until she saw that he was still weak and he might not ever change. And then she gave him up as a lost cause. But she still does love him in that Greyjoy way. He is her brother. And as soon as he proves that by learning to regain his strength and man Mm -hmm. up a little bit and come to save her... Well, yeah, it's kind of like, I got to punch you for what you did in the past, but now I'm going to help you back up. And in one simple motion, you just know everything's right between them again. You know, you remind me, I uh, made a mistake last episode. I said that Euron killed his father, but it was his brother. So my bad. Oh, yes, that's right. It was late. (laughs) Yeah, well... (laughs) And they they haven't given the Greyjoy stories as much attention. I know some people are feeling a little done even with Theon, and perhaps this is why the show sped through that. But I needed that little bit of additional closure they gave here. I thought it was well played. I like that she tells him that they could be useful. If Danny needs to retreat and can't hold the North, they could take her somewhere that the dead can't go on their ships. And he is prepared to follow her, knowing that. That's what he needs to do now. But she understands that what he really wants is to go to Winterfell and fight for them. So she lets him go. Will he get there in time? Everybody seems like they're going to be getting to Winterfell on time somehow. It's that um, speed movement from season seven. I'm I'm okay. I'm I'm okay with that too. And presumably she's going now to take back the Iron Islands, right? With Euron gone and all those Kraken ships gone. This is like her moment. Absolutely. And she deserves it. And I hope she does. But I think she is a little wrong in her thinking. She said they're going to need a place to retreat if they don't win this battle. The only place where they can't, where the walkers can't get to. But we had discussed, we saw that they can freeze water. So they could get to her. A little bit, kind of. I mean, are there areas they can't go? Can they not cross the sea? Could they not come to Essos, let's say? Could they not go as far south as Dorne? If you're on a really hard-to-get-to island. Or maybe it's just because their attention isn't focused there and they don't care. They don't care now. Is his only goal, meaning the Night King, to take out King's Landing? Or once he's done there, is he going to keep spreading out? I don't think it's either. I don't think it's like... Oh, I got to take over King's Landing because that's where the power sits. And I don't think it's... not that way. I got to take over the world. 
we had mentioned we do need to get to the root of why is the Night King doing this? What are they after? That is the deepest level story going on here, and we do have to get that answered at some point. They were created by the children of the forest to stop the incoming invasion of the first men. Right. So it's against men, all men. But the White Walkers in that scenario were essentially a tool. Now, we had brought up the fact that could this be happening because dragons are back in the world? It's happening again. Dragon kings, Targaryens are going to come over and try to invade again and try to move north again, possibly. Is it that they are opposing forces to the Three-Eyed Raven? They were created by the Three-Eyed Raven and they're just heading south because Bran is there? There's a lot of things. You know, down to in season one, we thought, is this because Gilly escaped with a child that was meant to be offered to them? Are they after that? There's so many things that could be going on, but I think we're definitely going to get some more of that. And it's not going to be that simple. I think you're right. And you're making me think, and we did discuss this. I keep saying that. Sorry. During our preppers, one of the theories was that the replacement of the king with Bran or with John, and they go up north. So maybe they, we actually do lose the fight that and they the could King take is, over. is an eternal force that can't really be killed. Right. Just put at bay. This is like a cyclical thing, right? That he gets replaced. He goes back up north. We have some peace again for another however many thousands of years. I'm curious. And I do see that as a possibility. We know whatever it is that there's more going on here from what little we've gotten about the Night King, about those White Walkers that are so different from the reanimated dead. And they're just proving it again here at the end of this episode with those weird symbols that they leave everywhere. And we're going to break that down a little more later. But just to say here, we get this scene at the last hearth where Tormund and Beric are creeping around a corner in the dark and run into Ed and his men. This is a great moment. We spoke about that. Unfortunately, they find this gruesome message that's been left for them. Little Ned Umber, seemingly dead, is pinned to the wall, surrounded by limbs in that spiral shape. And when he suddenly reanimates and begins screeching, they light him on fire and agree they must get to Winterfell to warn them before the undead army does. And they're going to have to ride their horses to death, pretty much, to do so. But I think they will. They will accomplish that. Too bad they don't have Gendry. They actually had the stunt go on fire. For eight seconds for that oh, clip. Oh, man. Yeah. And what they did was they created a fire mask with the molding of the kid's face. So it looks similar. So that's what burned? Yeah, he was under that mask. But still, you're Ooh, engulfed in fire. That is still scary. Holy shit. Crazy. No and wonder actually, it looked so real. And they actually had the sword on fire. Barrack sword. Yep. That's awesome, too. Isn't it amazing how they could put such fear into us without even showing the White Walkers once this episode? Yeah, we'll go back to season one, right? When we were just like feeling their presence the entire time and that message they left behind. Speaking of, we are going to dissect this in just a few moments. We've given you a lot of our thoughts. Let's move to our official Raven rating for the episode. The messages have flown. Winter is here. On a scale of one to ten ravens, what do you give episode one Winterfell? Well, it's always hard, especially with Game of Thrones. And the first episode, when you're super excited, you just want to go 100 or 10 in our case. But thank God we didn't do our grading right after the episode because I think I wouldn't have been able to sustain myself. But I'm going to go with a very, very respectable 9.2 ravens. Right in line with the Rotten Tomatoes rating. I have no complaints for the episode, but I just need to leave room for growth. Just just to keep in mind, season seven, episode one, Dragonstone, I gave a nine, you gave a 9.5. So that definitely fits. 
And I think I feel very similar. I mean, we talked about how season premieres for Game of Thrones tend to be this similar slow burn, laying out the pieces. There were some things that really paid off here more than I expected to. My couple of minor, very minor (laughs) issues. And mainly with the Sansa Arya stuff that's carried over from last season really did not impinge upon my excitement, my love of the episode. So I'm going to give it a solid nine. Nine Ravens. I'm always keeping in mind that Game of Thrones likes to play with my emotions, likes to make me sad, make me excited for a little bit, and then take it away. This episode in particular, all but one of the interactions, it would always start out really happy, really kind words, really nice. And then by the end of the conversation, I was like, The end of the conversation, five seconds later. (laughs) And I say all but one, maybe all but two. There was absolutely no happiness with, and I wouldn't even call it a conversation, Danny and Sansa. But the one is definitely the Hound and Arya. And the John and Rhaegal reunion was all good True. for the moment. So yeah, we got our balance in there. And now let's switch over to our digital water cooler, my favorite part of the podcast, where we asked our Clatchers via Twitter, at CKC Podcast. So if you haven't followed us yet, time to follow us. Get involved in this conversation. Actually, last season... We had so many great responses that we had to make extra episodes just for (laughs) Clatcher's comments, and we might have to do it again this year. So this week, we asked our Clatchers, who is your MVB, Most Valuable Bannerman? And your four options this week were John, Danny, Sam, and Cersei. Now, I have to uh, be completely honest with you. I put on the clock one day in 20 hours for the poll. I didn't think we'd be able to sit down and record Monday night after recording Sunday night. <laughs> but we got to get it out because magicians, we're still doing that podcast. So we got to... Our finale is coming our, up this week. Yep. So we got to switch our mindset. So as we speak, the polls are not closed. However, there is a clear winner. I don't think any dark horse is going to come up and take this. So I feel pretty confident. But the numbers will be tweaked probably by the end. And also, if you leave a comment after the podcast, we obviously won't be able to say it on air, but just know we read every single comment. We don't respond if we know we're going to talk about it on the podcast, and we don't always respond to you if we can't add value to what you just said. But it does inform how we think about, talk about this season. We are going to read the emails that we've gotten thus far, but let's start out with our results. Tied in third and fourth place, currently both with 3%. Danny? And Cersei. That's crazy that they're tied. She has no more votes than Cersei. Maybe the Clatchers are feeling what Game of Thrones is saying. I think that could be working, but we talk all the time about how this doesn't necessarily need to be a good guy. It's people that are pushing the narrative forward. And in fact, Danny didn't really do a lot to move the plot line forward this episode. No, she just made awesomeness on TV. With dragons, which is, I'm cool with. For sure. But John even outshone her this time because he gets to ride Rhaegal for the first time. So I could definitely see that. And Cersei made some big moves. 100%. She got the golden company. Yeah. Coming in at second place with 28% is John. You know, I did think he would get a little more. Returning to Winterfell, having these heartfelt reunions with a bunch of people, doing his dire best to make this situation work and to have the Northerners accept Danny, because he knows this is what they need to do to fight the battle. He just keeps pushing that agenda. Plus, he finds out the truth of his parentage, but he is being pulled back by this opposition that he's facing there. He's definitely going to have difficulty coming to terms with all of this. 
And so far as we've seen, he hasn't done a lot with that information yet. But he wrote a dragon. (laughs) However, coming in first place with a resounding 66% is Sam. Samuel Tarly winning the episode. So far, he's endured the pain this season. And also, he had to be the bearer of really bad news to... I can safely say his best friend. First of all, he very recently trekked it back from the Citadel where he stole books, broke laws to heal Jorah, found the nerve to take Heartsbane back with him, is somehow deciphering Bran's weirdness. How he's doing that, I have no idea. (laughs) But he's finding a way to make sense of that information. Yeah, taking those hits about his family... And we saw something very similar to this, right? Back when John was elected as a possibility to become the next Lord Commander. And Sam is the one really behind the scenes. Yes, he has Maester Eamon telling him how he should go about this, how he can work the Night's Watch people to see that they should elect John. But he's really facing his fears by having to confront them and do that because he believes, he knows that John is going to be their best Lord Commander, their best chance. It's kind of the same situation here. And he knows that's going to be really hard to tell John. I mean, he's looking at Bran like, man, you're his brother. Why don't you do it? Where are Gilly and baby Sam at? He said they're safe. They're good. I mean, nobody's really safe for long right now, right? Where's Melisandre? Yeah, there's a lot of people we haven't seen yet. We haven't gotten any reunions for Brienne that I assume the Stark sisters are here. Jamie just returned to Winterfell. That's definitely going to have to happen soon. Okay, I'm having a memory fart, so if I'm wrong, please don't kill me. I don't recall Brienne seeing the Hound since they fought. Oh, that too. I think you could be right on that. So that's going to be another awkward... She's going to have the Hound and then Jamie, and if Tormund makes it <laughs> back down there before this fight starts... Oh boy. Yeah, she's got a lot of reunioning to do. Who are our votes going to for MVB? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say Sam. Really creative choice there, Jason. Although I'm really, and he's not on our list, but I'm really happy that it feels more and more like Bran can actually help us now. Because I think that was our argument for so long. He's got these powers, but I feel like he's not helping us. For sure, though I'm definitely hoping to see some more growth in future episodes for that. And John had his moment, but I think there's going to be a lot bigger ones to come. So I'm going to go ahead and agree with you. I'm going to give it to Sam. All right, let's see what our Clatchers had to say. Melly says, I voted for Sam because it seems he will be the one helping John stepping up and claiming his birthright. Also, John needs to step up and tell the dragons to stop being such creeps. <laughs> I think he's working his way. You know, I mean, this is a big step for him this episode. It's so funny, though, because we just spoke about this in The Magicians. When you have a pet, they're always there during um, those special moments with your loved one. Yo, and Rhaegal didn't seem to be much bothered. It was really <laughs> Drogon, right? Your dog will stare at you. Your cat will stare at you. Your Josh fish will stare at you. (laughs) Kirk says, I'm writing in because it's so good to have GOT and CKC in my ears again for another season. Yes, reunited, speaking of. (laughs) Thank you, Kirk. Sherry Ava says, Yara Greyjoy really surprised me when she headbutted Theon as he lovingly came to his sister's rescue. What was that about? Well, you know, it's one of those... It's that Greyjoy relationship. I punched you for all the things you did wrong, but now I'm going to kiss you for all the things you did right. Yeah, I think it's very fitting for the Greyjoys, for sure. She follows that up with translation, what took you so long? Which makes sense with Yara's character. Well, yeah, (laughs) she's been waiting to see if Theon would be able to step up. (laughs) She's also lamenting the lack of dragons 
on our option poll. I suspect they'll be there at some point this season. (laughs) Margarita says, John Bradley is the most underrated actor in this entire series, and it was thrilling to get to see him shine. What a powerful yet nuanced performance. Sam is the heart of this story. I truly believe that. Oh, I agree. John Bradley is amazing. You know, I read in an article during the main fight, and he was going through the motion, fighting, and they yelled, cut, and they went up to John there, and they go, I know... It's so cool being a badass on the field, but that's not You're Sam. You're being a little too badass. <laughs> that's not Sam. We need you to be more kind of scared. Less and, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's a really tough performance that he has to deliver constantly and absolutely in this episode. Knocked it out of the park. Elliot Todd said, my vote goes to John since he seems to be the only person who knows what's at stake. He's willing to give up his birthright to protect the North, his bannermen. His choice and actions are sheer definition of most valuable bannerman. Couldn't have said it better myself. Well, you know I love Jon Snow all the time, all day. We do try to maintain a rule. If, if you've listened to CKC in the past, you'll know that Jason often breaks it. But <laughs> I never agreed with the rule. That's the fact that you could only give it to the same character three times in one season. I know there's only six episodes, but I gotta save my Jon votes. <laughs> And it's really nice to see a lot of the Clatchers who were part of our Magicians crew following us for this war. Thank you, guys. Oh, absolutely. Because he follows it up with, can't remember whether there's a Lord Umber in the book, (laughs) but that name brings me back to Fillory. Yeah, actually, there was. The the Umbers were the people of the last hearth in the books as well. Um, He says, it's unfortunate that the Night King got to him. What's his deal with placing human parts in a circular pattern? That's coming in a few moments. Tom says has to be Sansa. She's the only one besides Cersei who understands how to play the Game of Thrones, and she's learned the art of savage burns. See Tyrion. Her endgame will be crucial to driving the outcome to the war. Can't underestimate her. Daniel says, love your podcast. Wish I'd found it sooner. Oh, so happy that you're here, though. Welcome aboard. Dr. Barber says, hard one to choose. Usually my answer comes to me right away, but had to think about this one. And giving it to Sam. Good choice. Kragi says, my vote is for Arya finally reuniting with the people she cares about. Sansa for being the smartest person in Winterfell. And Rhaegal for finally getting some TLC. (laughs) Amanda says, I voted for Sam because he took the news of his father and brother's deaths like a champ. Then had to deliver a major news to Jon. Performance was amazing by Jon Bradley. I think Sam is a great character and I'm looking forward to seeing how he helps Jon with the wars to come. Amen. Ahmed says, quick theory. I'm thinking the Battle of Winterfell will end in Jon's defeat and they'll run back to the Iron Islands. Oh, no, I hope not. I hate your theory, man. (laughs) The original hair says Sansa, fulfilling the important role of leader who deeply understands human nature and logistics and therefore is thinking ahead. Brian T., what about Theon for regrowing his balls? (laughs) But seriously, I had to give it to Sam. Emily agrees, saying this was the single most important moment of the whole series, in my opinion. What Sam had to do this episode, followed by an incredibly important question. You gave up your crown to save your people. Will she do the same? We got one vote for Bran here by Joe. Elliot Todd has some speculation that Jon will choose not to tell Danny about his birthright before the battle with the Night King. Yeah, you don't need to right now. That's true. You, you, that, I think that would just be the worst decision, and I can't yeah. see John <coughs> rowing so dumb about battle strategy. And we have so many more. Thank you, guys. Mara, Mike, Hillary. Most votes going to Sam. <laughs> Meg and Meow. 
I love the Clatcher interaction. And before we get to our emails, I just wanted to once again, just thank you guys so much. We see the retweets. We see you pulling our banner and waving it during the war, letting everyone know that the CKC is out here. This is normally the part of the podcast where we would talk to you guys about our Patreon. And of course, we do hope and wish that you guys come follow us on Patreon. If you like our content, it's even more. It's subscription-based, but there's a tier for everyone, so you're sure to find something that's right for you. You can try it out for a month and see how it goes. But I don't even want to push that right now. The reality is there's a million, gazillion, bedillion... The amount of White Walkers out there is the amount of podcasts that are covering Game of Thrones, not to mention YouTube things and blogs. So the fact that you guys found us in the weeds is amazing. And what we really need from you, above all else, is you guys to spread the word. Rate and review on iTunes. We appreciate listening on any podcast platform. But by getting that word out there on iTunes, it really helps for our podcast to continue to grow and for others to find us. But if you're not on iTunes, there's so much more you could still do. You can join some of our Clatchers who are already doing this by retweeting our tweets about the episode, letting your friends know about us, telling your family members, you got to listen to CKC. I know that there's this other podcast that you probably listen to, but give them a try. That's all we ask. Listen, I'm a host of a podcast and I still listen to about six <laughs> other Game of Thrones podcasts because I just can't get enough of this show. We actually had Clatchers writing in saying, you know, I read this blog on Vanity Fair, top 10 Game of Thrones podcasts out there. I can't believe you're not on there. Mm-hmm. And I had to tell him, you know, <laughs> uh, we used to look at those kinds of blogs. We never seem to make that list. It seems like... Um, Even when we are one of very, very few in a small pond, and this is a different situation here, so... I think it's very political. So all we could do is depend on the Clatchers. And we have a huge army. Let's just make it bigger. Coming back to the email responses. Christina said she'll pay you just like Cersei paid the Golden Army. What was it? $20,000 or something? I don't think I have that many <laughs> wagons <kidding>. of gold. <laughs> Coming back to the email responses, though. Chelsea said she was listening to us talk about the Valencar prophecy with Cersei. All of the different options it could be. We've gone through Tyrion at times, mainly focusing on Jamie. The slight possibility that Arya could wear someone's face. But she thinks there is another option to what little brother could be. If Cersei is pregnant again, the child might be the one to kill her in birth. And this is something I've heard once or twice, that she can't possibly have another child because of the prophecy. But if she does die in childbirth, that maybe still fulfills that same thing. It is kind of her little brother if it's Jamie's. So it makes sense. And also, if we're going around to this really dark Game of Thrones poetic justice, the fact that her children have meant more to her than anything else and Mm. the length she's willing to go now, I could see that maybe being an end for her. Todd wrote in to say he's worried about the dragons. He says, I've wondered all along how they would do in cold weather. Surely they are in the reptile family and therefore warm weather creatures. Danny said they're barely eating because they don't like the north. Will this weaken them or make them sick or make them fly south? Yeah, we had said this just really isn't an environment for them, them being the embodiment of fire. And we keep going back to how is that combination going to come into play? We know that fire and ice will be the one to defeat the Night King. Is that the embodiment of both, such as John being a Stark and a Targaryen? Is that using these two weapons together somehow? Does that involve dragon fire? Either way, what we're seeing here is not looking good. And finally, Eric wrote in to share a really great article with us that was on Canada's nationalpost.com. The author is talking about how he started off as a TV viewer and then became a book reader at some point in. 
After a while, he needed to make the choice. So once he was finished with the fifth book, he decided to wait for the sixth book to come out before watching any more of the HBO series and is still waiting. You're going to be waiting forever. No, not Eric, the author of this article. Oh, okay. (laughs) I was going to say. But yeah, the author might be, and I can relate as somebody that got introduced to the series and a couple episodes in said, man, I got to read these books. (laughs) Thankfully, though, I never made that decision. It's going to be one or the other because I'm watching the TV show and still pissed about the lack of books. I've said this so many times and I really believe it. I think he's written at least one of those books, but made a deal with HBO to wait until the series is over to release it. I agree, except I don't think he made any deal. I think he's holding out for that last word on this art piece that he created. He wants to see where it goes on TV, but he gets the final stamp of this is how it really ends. As an author, I can kind of see that. It's genius. Everyone's going to flock to it. There's a different ending. Oh, I got to read it. And especially if they're not satisfied with the one HBO gives them. Now, should this series end and that book still doesn't come out? I don't know what I'm going to (laughs) do, but I think as somebody who's a book reader, you could definitely relate. So thanks for sending us that article. And a huge thank you to Eski89, Renato, Hideki, Official Unknown, and Denny from WI. Thank you for your reviews. We read them. I'm printing them. I'm putting up a plaque on the walls. Thank you so much. Our last two segments are a closer look. So we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about some of the things that we saw here on the TV show. Might contain a little bit of referency information type stuff, but no real spoilers until we get into our sneak peek. So we'll give you another warning before then. First, we discussed the last hearth. Technically, this would be in our new faces and places, but we didn't really get to see it too much. What is it going to be on the TV show? And looking pretty done and abandoned, so I don't think we will. However, it's worth mentioning that in the books, it also was the former seat of House Umber, a vassal house to the Starks. It's located south of the Gift, east of the King's Road, and with the exception of the Castles of the Night's Watch, it is the northernmost major castle of the Seven Kingdoms. That's important because it clearly is the first stop along the Night King's march south. It would be the very first major castle he hits, and then Winterfell, which we had expected that would happen. That's the route they would take, and they would hit the last hearth first. But we now get that confirmed on the TV show. Moving along to Valyrian Steel. We have talked about this a lot in the past, the difference between that and Dragonglass. What are our weapons going to be to defeat the White Walkers in the end? But in case you are coming to us afresh or just to renew your memory on this, it's worth mentioning. The secret of forging Valyrian Steel was lost in the doom of Valyria, after which creating new weapons became impossible. Stories claim that the metal was imbued with magic spells and forged with dragonfire, though no one can confirm or deny this. The material was expensive to begin with, so even by the time of the Doom, Valyrian steel swords, such as House Starks, were already valued heirlooms passed down from generation to generation in powerful noble families. Skilled smiths can reforge Valyrian steel weapons by melting down existing ones, but even that's a difficult process. And we saw that happen a few seasons ago. One giant one into two smaller ones. Ice, Ned Stark's former sword, yes. And in fact, it was Gendry's master, whatever you want, he was apprenticing under him, who was able to do that. One of very few people who could rework Valyrian steel. So it is possible that Gendry might be able to do that. We see him working with Dragonglass, which he also says is very difficult. But nobody could make 
new Valyrian steel weapons. We're just working with whatever is out there existing right now, unlike Dragon Glass. But let's just mention the Valyrian steel blades that are out there. You talked about ice, which belonged to House Stark, and was taken by Tywin and melted down to form two longswords. So number one and number two in existence, Oathkeeper, which Jaime gave to Brienne. Brienne is the one holding that sword. And Widow's Wail, which was given to Joffrey, then to Tommen, but now it belongs to Jaime. Then you have Heartsbane, which was mentioned in this episode, belonging to House Tarly. That is with Sam. Longclaw, which used to belong to House Mormont, but was given by Gior to John, And that Valyrian steel dagger that was once upon a time Littlefinger's and now with Arya. That makes a total of five. It's not a lot. In the books, there were five more floating around Westeros, but since they haven't come into play up until now, I don't think that's going to be a thing in the TV show. I think it will just be these five. Plus, just as a fun fact, there was actually one suit of Valyrian steel armor Oh wow! in the books, which, I don't know, it seems like a long stretch, but it would be kind of crazy if that came into play. John would definitely wear it. Oh, man. We've got a lot of theories about that. I mean, so this is not a Valyrian steel blade, but we've also talked a lot about Lightbringer, that fabled blade belonging to Azura High that might come to the next prince that was promised and might have to be forged in the same way as he did by killing the love of your life <laughs> and all of the things that that could mean for John. Would he need to kill Danny to forge this blade and then he could take out the Night King? There were also some other cool swords. We had discussed Dawn that was carried by the Sword of the Morning made of a falling star. And we do see that referenced in the Tower of Joy flashback scenes that Bran gets. And then we've got this blade that Beric Dondarrion carries that through Lord of Light magic he can set on fire. All weapons potentially for the good guys. And on to the last topic, the symbol. Everyone's talking about that symbol, the Night King's calling card. Benioff mentioned this a couple of seasons ago on an Inside the Episode. He said there are certain symbols and patterns that reoccur throughout the show. The first time we saw the spiral was in one of the very first scenes in the pilot when Will the Ranger sees the wildling body parts in an odd pattern displayed by the White Walkers. So we have this here from season one. It's not really a spiral, but it is that circle shape with a line through it. It's the rough outline of it. And if you recall, there was a dead girl child pinned up to the tree right next to it. We get that mirrored with Ned Umber being pinned to the wall here. In season three, at the Fist of the First Men, we really get the spiral shape laid out with dead horse parts. Then you see it again at the heart tree, and you learn where the patterns really came from. Ancient symbols of the children of the forest used in their rituals. And of course, they're the ones that created the White Walkers in the first place. So Bran gets that flashback at the heart tree of the time that the children were gathered there. And we learn about how they made a White Walker using that dragon glass. That's right. So whatever the White Walkers have taken down from them, and we've seen them perform these odd rituals where they're taking the babies, placing them on an altar... Some of this was inherited from their makers, and that's a relationship we still need to learn way more about. It's reinforced in season seven when we see John and Danny discover the caves at Dragonstone, and there are markings left by the children inside of the cave. And you see the spiral amongst many other shapes. It's got to mean something. I hope we find out. Bran's got to tell us, right? Surely he has to figure this out. Or in the last scene, the Night King actually speaks to Bran, and he has a really high voice. He's like, hey, Bran! So the, uh... 
<laughs> Speaking to him in his mind would be great. I mean, we could theorize all day long, but according to Carl Jung, one of my favorites, he talked about symbols all day long as an art therapist. I put a lot of belief in this. He said the spiral was an archetypal symbol that represents a cosmic force. It's also sacred in representing the journey and change of life as it unfolds, taking a labyrinth-like passage that leads to the source, capital S. The spiral symbol can represent the consciousness of nature beginning from its center and expanding outwardly, as spirals have been linked to nature, the seasons, the path of life, birth, growth, death, and reincarnation. Well, that I think that's it right there. The Night King is the source, and the spirals are him and his armies expanding. Oh, that's a good thought. I actually thought about the children as the source who created the White Walkers. Well, for sure. At that point, yes. But birth, growth, death, and then you're reincarnated as a White Walker. Mm. And so that would support the theory that the Night King really can't ever die. He's a cosmic force, just like the children are a cosmic force and maybe just needs to be restarted in the cycle. Somebody needs to take his place. Just like the Three-Eyed Raven can never die. He just gets replaced by the next brand. That gives us a lot to think on for the future and only leaves us with our very brief spoiler section. If you are afraid of that, we will see you next time when we review episode two. For those of you still here... In our sneak peek through the heart tree, we got a brief synopsis of what episode two will be about. John and Danny gather their troops before the confrontation with the army of the dead. The terrible menace puts in jeopardy everyone south of the wall. And in the preview, we do see everything that seemed to be happening in episode one just kind of culminating and coming to a head. The tensions between everyone, the issues with Danny, what's happening there. It does seem like there will be some action, but probably not any real battling. I don't want anyone to fight. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we got those proposed episode titles. Now, of course, they were wrong the first time with episode one, so who knows? But episode two was listed as the rightful queen. Oh, boy. And if this is the real showdown with Danny, plus kind of being plugged in with scenes of Cersei at King's Landing, that would seem to be a fitting title to me. What if Danny kills Sansa? And that's what makes John go, all right, bitch, we done. But we don't want they no, to be we done. <laughs> we, don't, we don't want that. And it's a, it's a guess and it's stupid. Well, speaking of guesses, the remaining titles may or may not be. Episode three, Winter is Here, which we thought was this first one. Maybe those two were switched at some point. Episode four could be Exodus. Episode five, Ice and Fire. And episode six, A Dream of Spring. So take that with a grain of salt. It's not verified, but we do like to think about what the titles could be. And with HBO being so tight-lipped about it, it's fun to speculate. Thank you to everyone for joining us, and we can't wait to see you again next week. Magicians fans, we have season finale coming up this week. But for Game of Thrones, till next time, this round's on me. This round is on me! Try again.